Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, Inconceivable, A Study of Heaven. If you missed any part of this series, you can find it and others online at sheridanhouse.org backslash WBS. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. Well, I cannot believe we're here at our last lesson. I look at that book and say, we can, we can open it from the end now because we've spent so much time in it. Isn't that amazing? So, um, you know, I know it's with rejoicing that we've come to the end and been able to study all of it, but there's also some sadness, don't you think? That's why I'm crying here. Boy. Um, bittersweet, I love that, absolutely. But boy, have we, have we learned and been changed as women, and may it be a permanent change. May we continue as we um, journey in our desert after our um, freedom from slavery. Let us turn to Exodus 15, which is most of where we're going to be today. And, um, and I want us, you know, and I meant to pray this and it slipped my mind, but as we go here through these, would you ask the Lord <clears throat> to convict your heart? I'm doing the same. Lord, what are the things that I need to learn as I make march through the desert? toward my promised land. I need to see, I want to be convicted by some of the things that the children of Israel learned and had to learn as they made their journey through the wilderness toward their promised land. I want to have that same understanding in my life. So we need to each pray that as we're going through this lesson. Oh, that's one I do. Or, oh my goodness, that sounds like me. Or that kind of thing. We want, we want to take it and allow God to really convict us with that. So, Today, we're going to talk about a new life for Israel. A, <clears throat> on your outline, they had experienced a victory over their past. The first stage of their journey was over. Egypt was done. They were free. They, were, uh, they had left slavery behind them. And with their past behind them, they were ready for their next phase of learning. Now, I am sure, just like us, that they didn't think about the fact that, okay, now that I'm in the desert making my way to the promised land that God is preparing for us to go to, I've got to learn some lessons. I've got to grow up here. And I don't think any more than we think about that too much, they really considered that. I don't think they were thinking, okay, I know God's taking us out into the, the desert for 40 years to learn some lessons that we need to learn. I don't think they thought about that. I think they thought, we're done. We're away from slavery, and now we get to move on. And so often, we, I think, feel that way too. They needed to learn that they needed to make some changes in their life. They needed to grow up. They needed to grow up. B, redemption is only the beginning. Redemption is the beginning. Um, deliverance from bondage. They were delivered from slavery, physical slavery, real slavery. Um, it was the beginning, not the end of a journey, and that's so true in our lives as well, that life begins when we accept Jesus as, a, as our Savior, when we're delivered from our Egypt, when we're delivered from our slavery, from sin, we are delivered, yes, but that's the beginning. We're on a journey to become more, to prepare us for our eternity, aren't we? We're we're in we're we're on a in a on a learning curve of to become the kind of women that God wants us to become, and we have to be prepared for the tedium times of that journey. 
sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's grueling. Sometimes it's like, oh, not again. There's more lessons I have to learn here. You know, I want to be done. I want to be, you know, I want to have a doctorate in, in uh, walking with the Lord. <laughs> and, and we don't realize that that takes study and classwork and homework and discussion and prayer and all the things that it takes for us to get that doctorate degree and wh what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what the children of Israel needed. They had to be prepared um, <clears throat> for um, a time of learning with God. Just as Israel had witnessed one of the most dramatic pictures of deliverance. What do you think that was? Stephanie talked about it last week. Oh my goodness, the parting of the Red Sea? That's huge. And it wasn't just a little uh, lake or a little pond. It was the Red Sea. And big. I'm sure they couldn't see the other end. And so, um, <clears throat> just like they do, sometimes we have to prepare for the letdown that so often happens after a spectacular moment with God. And we're so that way, aren't we sometimes? Perhaps we've seen a major, major parting of the Red Sea in our life, and then all of a sudden we're faced with another little, maybe um, uh, slight something, and, and it's like the Lord's saying, Don't, do you remember yesterday, the Red Sea? And we're saying, oh, yeah, but that, that was yesterday, for goodness sake. What about today? Oh, my goodness, that, that bug bite on my shoulder. And, and we, we tend to minimize and forget about those dramatic lessons that we've learned yesterday when we face today. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? My, my life, anyway. So, C, learning in the wilderness. It's kind of like this. I remember hearing a story about two brothers and it was like Fourth <clears throat> um, of July, I think, and they had those glow sticks. Do you know what I'm talking about? And what do you have to do for a glow stick for the glow to come out? Break. And the big brother took the little brother's glow stick and went, <clears throat> and the little brother was, oh, what are you doing? You're breaking my glow stick. And all of a sudden, phew, the glow came. That's kind of the way it is with our life. Sometimes we have to break the stick in order for the glow to come out. And that's what the children of Israel learned. Number one, what does the wilderness accomplish? A, wilderness exercises spiritual muscles. Just as the glow stick is broken, God was now going to take them through the wilderness to help them grow up. Think about the children of Israel. They were babies. They were little children. They had been cared for, and goodness sake, they worked hard <laughs> around the clock, and, and their life was, was hard, 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 of course, as slaves. But they had never really had to work hard as far as you know, finding people to care for them and, and understanding who God was and all those kinds of things. They kind of went through a normal routine day after day of, okay, you know, um, wife will make bread uh, on an open fire or something, and then we go and bake, make bricks and, you know, all those kinds of things. They had never really had to think about being cared for, really, in their lives. And so they were kind of like children need, needing to be away from home to know how to be independent and how to care for themselves. It kind of reminds me of when our children were in middle school, high school era, era uh, time frame, and um, <clears throat> they had something uh, in our church with the youth group that was called Youth Camp in the Summer. 
And we were like, oh my goodness, I don't want my kids going to a youth camp. What if the counselors are terrible? And you know, what if they, you know, what if it's a total waste of time? And we don't want them out of the Barnes compound of protection here. And it was very hard for us to let go and let them leave from under our protection to go learn in a different environment, and yet it was so needed. You know why? Because someday they were going to have to go to college. Someday they were going to have to find their own jobs. Someday they were going to have to find their own housing and life and all those kinds of things. And so they had to experience youth camp under the very careful supervision of mom and dad to make sure that this was going to be a good camp for them. But anyway, but they had to experience that. We called it emancipation from the home in order for them to learn what life was all about. It was a process of giving them a little bit more time, a little bit more time, a little bit more time until they learned that they could be independent in college and then post-college era. I've got all worked up here. They needed to learn. They needed a time away so that they could learn. B, wilderness teaches obedience and dependence on God. How can we know that we can trust God until we've had an opportunity to have that trust tested? Until we've been through a time of, of saying, okay, Lord, the glow stick of my life is broken, but um, I want to see the glow come out. Unless we've experienced that, we're not going to see the glow. We're not going to learn. So, um, Anyway, God wanted to teach them dependency on him. And just like Israel, how can we know <coughs> God in all his might unless we've experienced the times when there's no other recourse but to trust him? If we don't experience that in our life, we're not going to know that he is trustworthy, are we? We need to know that. So number two, there are three important challenges in the wilderness. And we will study them, study today the three challenges that prepared the children of Israel to become God's special people. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.2 says this. You don't need to look it up, but it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 days in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know, that what, what was in your heart, whether you could keep his commandments or not. That said it all right there, doesn't it? It talks about what God's purpose was. Each challenge, God taught them about himself. Each new thing that they had to face was, okay, are you going to watch for me here? <laughs> are you going to learn who I am here? Am I, are you going to see how trustworthy I am in this difficult situation? And it's so similar, again, in so many ways to the lessons that we need to walk in our journey to the place that he's prepared for us, which is heaven, which is heaven. So here are the tests. Next on your outline. First, A, the first crisis was thirst. What happened? Number one, Exodus 15. Look at verse 22. I know you already, have already turned there. Uh, then Moses made Israel set out from the, the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, they went in three days in the wilderness and found no water. Verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, and therefore it was named Marah, which in Hebrew means, what do you think? Bitter. bitter. Absolutely. Wow. We didn't have to go and take um, Hebrew vocabulary to learn that, did we? Okay. Um, so after leaving the Red Sea, after this momentous time of seeing God's hand, of power, 
they begin their travels in the desert of, of Shur or Etham. And they traveled several days without finding water. And so they arrived at Mara and found this uh, stream or this body of water um, that turned out to be bitter. Number two, the people's reaction. And they said, hey, you know what? We just saw God part the Red Sea, so we're good. You know, I mean, we're thirsty, but, um, you know, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he parted the Red Sea. Goodness, he's going to take of our thirst. Did he say that? Did they say that? No, unfortunately, no, they did not say that. Um, you would have expected that they would have said, you know, God has got this. <laughs> he's got this. Doesn't thirst seem like a small thing in comparison? Look at verse 24. And the people, this is what happened, grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now the word grumbling in Hebrew means to stay permanently, be obstinate in complaint. In complaint. The thing that is interesting for us to think about is that when we stay permanently in the complaint mode, we can look and sound just like the children of Israel. It's almost like we have a complaint app on our heart. <laughs> and we have something that happens to us and we go, boom, hit the app, boom, I'm complaining. And then this something else happened and I hit that app. Instead of saying, wow, Look at God. Look at what God did. You know, when we do that, when we have that stay permanently in complaint mode, you know what we're actually complaining about? God. We're saying, oh, God, you know, I can't believe you let me be in here. I can't believe this has happened to me again. Oh, I can't believe, I can't believe. Where are you, God? And when we're complaining about a circumstance, when we are um, muttering and wondering what we're doing is we're saying, God, I don't think you're trustworthy. That's basically what we're saying. It's a scary place to be, isn't it? Wow. Um, and I think that why in my life, that's why I love my gratitude journal. I'm, I know you're tired of me talking about it. I must talk about it every time. But I love it every morning when I'm having my devos to get in there and start saying, look what you did yesterday. Look what happened last week. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And usually they're small, tiny things. Now, sometimes they're miracles that I get to, wow, you know, right in there. But um, most of the time it's just a little thing. You know, that, that you got uh, that note from somebody just at the right moment or you're struggling with that or, you know, whatever it is. But it's so important because in the fearful time, we must remember. We must go back and see and look at and ponder and consider all that God has done. And what, that hap what happens is that propels us over the hurdle of the difficulty in our life. That's what the children of Israel needed to learn. And that's why it's in the word of God for us to look at and say, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be in a, a, a constant state of complaint and fear and worry. I want to be trusting, 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 trusting because of all that God has done. Wow. Number three, what did God do? Okay, they're complaining and saying, oh man, we're going to die of thirst, blah, blah, blah. And look what God does, verse 25. And they cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log or a tree and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. What does God do? He performs a miracle. Are we surprised? No, not on this side of being in the situation. 
he did a miracle, as he does. A, he changed bitterness into sweetness, a log or tree into the water, and it becomes sweet. Sometimes we face deep to deep um, disappointment that is bitter to us, but when we get our eyes um, on God rather than the circumstance, we do not have to live with discouragement and disappointment. What are we looking at? What are we looking at? Isn't that a theme that we've kind of talked about all semester? That we're either going to fixate on the fear or focus on God. Fixate on the fear or focus on God. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Number B, what is the branch, quote unquote, in our life? Most scholars believe that the branch is symbolic of Jesus. Jesus, because remember in John, those of you uh, that were here for the study of John, in John chapter 7, Jesus did, um, said, on the last day of the feast, and this was the great feast when the priests would come over and fill their pitchers, remember? And at this moment of drama and um, the climax of the, the feast, they, everybody would, there'd be a hush on all the worshipers, and the priests would take these pitchers and dump them out. And just as they were getting ready in the hush across the crowds and crowds and crowds of, of worshipers that had come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival, hush on the crowd, and Jesus says, I am the living water. One of the most dramatic times in the Lord's uh, ministry. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Dramatic moment. He is the one who quenches our thirst. He is the living water. And when we put the branch or the tree into the circumstances, the bitter water becomes sweetened. Again, where is our gaze? Are we fixating or are we focusing? See, God's new name. God has gotten their attention and reminds them once again to focus on him. He does this by, again, revealing a new name. He does that often in the Old Testament, that as he gives a new name, it reveals an, a new character to the people uh, who are hearing it for the first time, a new character of God. As people go through tests, they learn another aspect of God's character. Look at verses 26 and 27. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule before he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to my voice, uh, the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. That name, Lord our healer, is Jehovah Rapha the Lord who heals. New name, new aspect of his character that was revealed for the first time. Again, an emphasis on the one who enters into a personal relationship with his people. He is our healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, our personal healer. D, God's abundance. They then move on to Elam. This is the most amazing verse. Verse 27, then they come to Elam where there are, were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamp there by the water. Do you love the understatement of that <laughs> statement in, in, in the Bible? Amazing. Here in the middle of the dreadful desert, suddenly 70 palm trees. 
Now, I don't know about you, but there are a couple palm trees on my street, but not 70, for goodness sake, and I don't live in the desert. Wow, 70 palm trees and 12 wells. And the significance of that is, well, what? 12 tribes of Israel, right? What does that teach us about the way God wants to provide for us? Um, we just have to be looking. The blessing, relief, fruitfulness that comes from following God, what happens when we ob uh, uh, obey his commands is an oasis in the deserts of life. Deserts of life. You know, one thing, and this is very personal, but one of the um, deserts of my life the last couple of years is trying to figure out how to teach three times in 24 hours. I mean, really? I mean, do I look like I'm 25? Say yes, please, okay? Thank you, yeah. And one of the most beautiful oasis is the three leaders of the next generation coming to me and saying, look, if you will teach three times in 24 hours, let us help. And Stephanie and Sarah and Heather stepped up to the plate. That was an oasis for me. That was a provision of God to say, I know this is a little bit rugged here, but l let me bring you an oasis. Wow. He does that in all of our lives, doesn't he? not just mine, not just the children of Israel, all of our lives. We just have to be watching for it. Sometimes we say, oh, wasn't that lucky? Didn't that work out great? Wow. No, 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 no. God provides oasis in the wilderness. Wow. Second crisis. First one, thirst. Second one, hunger. Life so often seems like one crisis after the other, doesn't it? And this was true in the life is, of Israel. This is uh, all such a picture of our lives. Number one, what happened? Chapter 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. What again? Wait a minute. Parting of the Red Sea, get, turning bitter water into sweet, an oasis in the middle of the desert, and what now? You're, you're grumbling, but do we do that? Yes, yes, we do. Number, verse 3, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, that we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. Their cholesterol was bad, I think. Um, <clears throat> For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Are we kidding, Israel? Wow. Hunger happened. You would have thought that after e leaving Elam and the, and the palm trees, they would have said, God, okay, we've seen how you provided in, in, in Mara and Elam, and so we're going to trust you in this. Um, in fact, we're kind of excited to see, you know, what you're going to do. How are you going to provide for this? Ra instead, notice what they're saying. I would rather go back and sit by a crock pot in Egypt. And make bricks without straw. And build the pyramids. I'd rather do that any day than be in the desert with you after watching you part the Red Sea and, and uh, give us water. Wow. And we're so quick, but ooh, how about us? Don't we do that? What an insult into the gracious, miraculous hand of Jehovah Rapha. Wow, wow, wow. I'll never forget... Um, 
few years ago, the last recession we had. I'm not sure what, what year that was. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> there was a, a sort of a crunch here at Sheridan House. And Bob was had a, having a staff meeting. He was saying, okay, you know, this is kind of a financial crunch here because of the recession, and we're trying to figure it out and how we're going to do all the payroll and deal with the bills and blah, 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 blah. And he was talking to the staff to get them, you know, kind of geared up for what was going to happen. And um, all of a sudden, one of the new staff members had just come on board, and she said, you know what, I, this is so exciting to me. She said, I have been listening to the miracle stories about what God does here at Sheridan Health, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do in the middle of this. And it was such a moment for Bob and the whole staff to say, oh, that's right, the miracles, the miracles, the miracles. We can't, you know, be defeated over going through a period of difficulty. Wow, so often we do that. Look what happened. Look what God does. Oh, I love this. Verse 14, and when the dew had gone, uh, gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is this? What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is bread that God, the Lord has given you to eat. And the people of Israel ate manna. Are you ready? for 40 years, wow, till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Wow, what a picture of utter faithfulness. Don't you love the picture there of them gathering the manna just enough for what they needed for today? Because tonight the manna is going to come again. Just for today, just for today. I love it. Wow. A, provided, what is it? Stephanie talked about that last week. Verse 35 tells us that he provided manna, which literally means in Hebrew, what is it? Like, what in the world is this on the ground that we're about to eat? Someone said this, unknown author, the substance is described as occurring in flakes or small round grains, literally hoax frost. It fell light with the dew and appeared when the dew left the ground. It was like coliander seed, white, and taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Wow. I mean, he could have just given oatmeal, yeah, <laughs> without honey or anything on it. Um, wow. And yet he brought something that... Um, uh, numbers 11 8 says tasted cakes baked with oil wow i mean that sounds as good as the biscuits and gravy we ate this morning i mean wow he does he didn't give them just boring oatmeal wow amazing amazing thing is that he provided for it for 40 years and it ceased the day after they began to eat the produce of the land in the plains of jericho in the promised land provided up until that moment when they didn't need it anymore Wow. B, it is a picture again of our bread of life. Everything is symbolic throughout the word of God. I can't wait to get to heaven and sit down. I don't know um, if, if um, our brains will take it all in. Poof, one, at one time we'll go, oh, 
oh my, that's what that was all about. Or if it will be a gradual process of, okay, today I learned about the manna and tomorrow I'm going to learn about this. And maybe it's a gradual, maybe that'll be part of the joy of being in heaven is gradually seeing these pictures. But this was a, a symbol of the picture of Jesus, the daily bread for our souls in him. Jesus called himself that in John 6, 48, that just like without like without physical bread we become weak we need our spiritual manna don't we we need our manna and that's why you all have homework every week that's why you uh, we we encourage each other to pray for one another we encourage each other to have our own private uh, devotional time together where we're searching the word of god and and being in there because we have to get our spiritual manna daily manna through prayer in the bible See on your outline, third crisis. First one, thirst. Second one, hunger. Third one, war. <coughs> Number one, what happened? When Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, Rephidim, I'll get that yet. I've been working on it for two sessions now. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with my staff of God in my hand. Now, this was a tribal group that lived in the Sinai area during this period of history. And so the, the non-battle-ready Israel had to learn how to defend themselves. Again, breaking the stick, letting the glory out. They had to learn how to defend themselves. They never had to do that until those final you know, few days in, in uh, Egypt. They were used to making bricks. They were bricklayers in the pyramids. They didn't know how to take up a sword and fight for themselves and all those kinds of things. They needed to learn how to do battle. Um, they were being educated by God that whatever the battle, he is in control. Whatever your battle is, whatever my battle is, whatever we're struggling with, he is in control. Perhaps it's in the workplace. Maybe you're having to stand for right and justice in, in a culture that doesn't get it. Maybe, um, you know, they're family members. Maybe you're the only believer in your entire, you know, extended family, and you're, you're trying to figure out how to be a good witness in that. I don't know what your battle is. We all have battles of varying degrees. But in it, we need to know that God is in the battle. Number two, what did God do? Verse 11, whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Wow, as long as Moses' hands were being held up. The lesson, such an illustration of what God was teaching. A, there is victory when we look up. Victory when we look up. When we are looking up to God, waiting for him. In Egypt, they looked up, cried to God, he delivered them. At the Red Sea, and all along the way, same lessons. We must look up. We must depend absolutely and totally on him. Not across to humans but up 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 notice another interesting that fact verses 12 and 13 but moses hands grew weary so they took a stone and put them under him <laughs> and when he stood on it while aaron and her held up his hands one on one side and the other on the other side so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun he had help somebody helped him hold up his hands to god Wow. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword, verse 13. It's such a picture of intercessory prayer. Wow. I am so grateful 
for what we have here <clears throat> at our Bible study through the prayer ministry. Thank you, Pam, for the hours that she spends compiling and getting them on uh, the Internet for us. And sometimes when we look at those lists of needs, don't you feel overwhelmed? But what a blessing that we're praying for one another and that we can have other women praying for us and, and um, we can be lifting up our hands. And as we're going through difficulties, somebody's lifting up our hands for us. Wow, what an important thing. If that's the only email you read all week, read it. Never mind Talbots and, you know, Tower Gid and all those. Boy, do we get a lot of those or what? Anyway, wow, what an important ministry of praying for, for one another. If you've ever felt weary in the battle and you sometimes feel like I can't even pray, that's when we hold each other's arm, arms up. That's when we have to turn to one another. That's, what's, that's the importance of the community that you're building at your table, that we can be praying for each other and lifting each other's um, hands up in prayer. That's part of the unity of being Christians, praying for one another. I'll never forget, it's a little girl. <coughs> we had, um, during, I must have been, I was under 10, way under 10. I was little, and I can still remember it vividly. We had a catastrophic typhoon hit our area. And typhoon is the same as a hurricane in the Atlantic, only in the Pacific. And I remember my parents frantically running around and putting towels, you know, in windowsills and, and looking with terror as the fence fell down and, and, you know, buckets, carrying buckets around to get drippings of waters and all those kinds of things. And at the time, my grandparents were visiting us from Korea. They were, grand, uh, they were missionaries in Korea at the time that we were in Japan, and they were visiting us. And I remember going into the living room, and I can see it as clearly as it was happening right now. And my grandfather was just sitting there on the couch. And I said, Grandfather, you know, what are you doing? And he says, well, you know what? I'm doing the most important thing that needs to be done here. I'm praying. Wow, that made such an impact in my life holding up the hands, holding up the hands. We need to be praying. B, God's new name. At this scene, once again, we meet yet another name of God, verse 15. And Moses built an, an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. In Hebrew, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my ba banner. God is the one to do battle for us. If ever there was a time when we feel we are at war in this battle, we need to turn to Jehovah Nisi. God, be my banner in this. Be my banner. I'm in, I'm in battle here. Three, the picture, our battle. Israel was learning that their new life of freedom with God was going to entail a constant, constant battle. Moses is a reminder of Jesus, who is in heaven, interceding for us as we ba uh, wage battle in a world like Joshua was doing. Hebrews 7, 23, <coughs> 25 says, he always lives to make intercession for them. We are battling in this world, and Jesus is in the throne room. Jesus is in the throne room, Hebrews 7 tells us. D, what do we learn? We see, have seen a pattern begin with Israel. They began their journey after the Red Sea with great praise and worship. Oh, my goodness. Did you read those verses? Miriam, she had them dancing and singing, and they were just, wow, this is amazing. And then what happens? When the going got tough, suddenly the praise turned to whining. <laughs> Where are you, God? Wow, how about us? As we begin our journey with him, as we receive Jesus, 
as our personal savor, filled with joy and thanksgiving at the beauties and the riches of life in him. And then all of a sudden, we hit reality, and Amalek comes along, and we realize that as, that we, as we get to promised land, our promised land that he's prepared for us, that we are going to wage war. We are in a war zone here. Did you notice? Absolutely. Wow. Because this is not heaven, and let us try to make that so. Let's try to make sure that we realize that. Number one, marriage provides a picture. I don't know if you remember, those of you who are married, I don't know if you remember the honeymoon state where everything was rosy because we're so in love. Wow. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we start thinking, oh, wow, this person is really weird and different. I, you know. <laughs> and so we think, oh my goodness, I think we've fallen out of love. I think that, we, that I just was dreaming about this relationship. Wrong. We are just realizing what true love is. It's a chemistry. It's not just a chemistry. It's a work. It's a giving. It's a commitment. It's a choice. It's a choice. I have to tell this story. Miss Helen, I don't want to embarrass you to death. How long have you and your husband been married? Okay. I, I have to say, I have to tell this story. Miss Helen's husband brings her every week. And after 69 years of marriage, as he, he brings her inside the door, He'll, he says to her every week, and Bob overheard her and was telling me the story. But he says to her, beautiful, I'll see you when you're done. Now let me say something. I think the honeymoon stage is over, don't you, after 69 years? And yet commitment, choice, work, we're going to love each other through the highs and the lows of life. We have an example sitting right here in front of us. Wow. And that is a picture of our relationship with God. It's a choice. It's a commitment. It's a work. It's a giving. We choose whether we're going to look at the circumstance and be overwhelmed, or are we're we going to realize that the Christian life is a wilderness journey, that as we make our way to the promised land, he's preparing for us, and that takes commitment and choice and work and looking up, looking up expectantly, to see what God will do. Bottom line, number two, are we grumblers or grateful? Now, of course, we're going to go back and forth. There are going to be days when we're like, oh my goodness, I'm grumbling. Shame on me. We're, we're going to be back and forth because we will not, not be perfect till we get to heaven. But we have basically a tendency toward one or the other, don't we? Don't we have that tendency to either look at the circumstances and see all the difficulties or be a grateful praiser whose eyes are focused on God. Okay, Lord, this is scary, this is hard, this is a wilderness point, this is a battlefield, but I'm going to look at you, look at you, look at you, remember, 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 and be grateful for all that you have done. Wow. God's purposes for his people, finally, Israel gets to Mount Sinai, where God desires to establish that they are to be his, com uh, his covenant people. And A, who are they? Uh, chapter 19, jumping down to there, first, 
uh, verses 4 through 6, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5, therefore, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all people, for the earth is mine. Treasured possession. You shall, verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the people of Israel. What were they? Number one, people to be protected. Do you love the image? Verse 4, lift it up on the wings of Egypt, uh, of, of an eagle from Egypt. <laughs> Whoa, late in the morning. Wow. I love that. Not in talents, hanging on, but on wings. I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven, Lord, would it be okay for me to go on a little eagle ride? I want to see what that's all about and not fall off, by the way. Wow. Amazing. Tenderness, protection. It's a picture of tenderness and protection. What else were they? They were a people, number two, to be treasured. I love, verse five, treasured possession, an heirloom, something that was deeply important and, and treasured. I don't know if you have something like that. I have something here that I don't know why I don't wear more often, but it is a... Um, a um, pocket watch that belonged to my great-grandmother. And on one side, her name is even engraved on it. And it, this is treasured because it is really old. And so like if a hurricane's coming, uh, that's one of the first things I grab next to my baby pictures and, and wedding pictures, of baby pictures of the children, at wedding pictures, and I put it in a safe place. Where's the safest room in the house during a hurricane? Is this one okay? I'm going to put it in the middle of that room and make sure that nothing happens to a treasured possession, something that's important to us, something that we treasure. That's how God was describing them, an heirloom, an heirloom. Wow. B, to be a covenant people, what did that mean in closing? Number one, what is a covenant? It's an agreement. That was something that they used that terminology in, old, in ancient um, Israel to talk about, okay, we're in covenant. We're making a deal here. I'm buying your house. We're in a covenant, making a promise, an agreement together. Number two, what were the stipulations as far as Israel was concerned? Back to five and six. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. Notice the words obey and keep. That's our responsibility as well. They were to follow God's rules. Why did God give rules? To be a mean-spirited person in the sky. You can't do that. You can't do this. No, because he knows what's best for us. He knows what's best for us. So he gives us rules and regulations. C, comparing the, old, the new covenant with the old. We are now under a new covenant or agreement. How timely. We're coming in on Holy Week next week in Easter season. Easter is where we came under a new covenant. Number one, Jesus brought that new covenant in chapter 26 of Matthew. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. Jesus sacrificed once and for all and paid so that we no longer need to do all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, which were a symbol of him. Number two, the new covenant is better than the old covenant, Hebrews 7.22. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better uh, covenant. How, why? A, we have a better high priest, one that's perfect. The lamb was slain once and for all. B, it's in our heart. 
and empowered by him. It's not just a physical thing that we go through at the festival times. It's in our heart, empowered by him. C, it's eternal, internal motivation versus external uh, rules. When we realize what God has done for us through Jesus, it motivates us to want to be better women, doesn't it? I want to be a better me. I want to be. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be uh, better. D. It's a reality versus a shadow. Everything in the Old Testament was picturing Jesus, the New Covenant. Jesus is a reality. E. Personal covenant. It wasn't a covenant of the uh, of the whole nation. That's between me and Jesus. It's personal. F. It's e eternal versus temporary and that is why jesus said on the cross what did he say when he just before he went to heaven it is finished it's done the veil was torn from top to bottom we don't need a veil in the holy of holies anymore we have access it's not temporary it's eternal it is a heavenly place versus an earthly place the old covenant god was preparing canaan for them jesus is preparing an eternal place for us d and finally i go to prepare a place for you again john 14 as jesus was preparing to leave one of the last things he said was i go to prepare a place for you wow and based on that he said do not let your hearts be troubled i go to prepare a place for you letter d wow just as god had prepared a place for his treasured possession Jesus does the same. And what does he do? 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. Now, let me quickly say, in closing, did I miss a point? You all are murmuring. I'm oh, too fast. We want to listen to this last praise song. It's so incredible. But anyway, Finally, Ephesians, this is not in your notebook, but Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time we were in darkness, but now we are in the light of the Lord. And here's the word. Walk as children of the light. We have the new covenant. We have, we have this beautiful word of God to teach us how to walk in that wilderness, the desert. And, and we have... Um, we have Jesus that went uh, before us to prepare this amazing place for us. So what's our responsibility? Walk as children in the light. And let me say something to you. As I say those words to you, I want to tell you what we're going to be studying next year. Be excited, whether you are or not, okay? One of the greatest books in the New Testament that helps us to know how to walk as children of the light, practical every day this should be your attitude this is the way we do this is the way we walk the, one of the most beautiful books of that is a book of philippians so so that is what we are going to be studying the book of philippians how to walk as children of the light for previous messages as well as other resources you can visit sheridanhouse.org backslash wbs or call us at 954-583-1552. We hope you can join us again next week.